Hello everyone and welcome to the Healing By podcast. I'm your host, Shanika Moore-Clark. My mission is to provide listeners with enlightening conversations about all things healing. In this podcast, we explore the good, the bad, and the ugly in an attempt to inspire you to become your own best healer. On today's episode, I had the pleasure of speaking with Katie LaSalle who is an IFS therapy practitioner. In this episode, she offers us lots of um, education on IFS therapy, and she talks about how she used IFS to help her in her own healing journey. And now that she is trained in IFS, she is able to help others integrate this modality to help them in their own healing journey. I found this episode to be extremely, extremely engaging and um, she offers so much insight and wisdom and I think that it is an episode that you certainly don't want to miss. I hope that you will continue to support this podcast and I thank you all for your continued support and please continue to share with your friends and family. Hello and welcome everyone to the Healing Vibe podcast. Today I am so honored to have um, Katie, who um, I've been really looking forward to talking to her for quite some time and for whatever reason, um, it's just been a challenge mostly on my end, but I'm so excited that today we are going to be talking about IFS. I think that this is a topic that um, I think now we're hearing more and more about IFS, but people are really not very educated about it. And I know, especially in the um, trauma and chronic health, um, chronic illness community, um, people have ideas of what it is, but not really like a, a very good understanding. So I'm so excited to learn more about um, IFS. And also I know listeners, you guys are really going to be in for um, a treat. So welcome to the Healing Vibe podcast. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. Yes. So I thought um, maybe we would start with you sharing a little bit about yourself. um, If you have a story and (laughs) just how um, you came to um, get connected with, you know, IFS. Yeah. So I like to joke that I'm a recovering corporate executive. (laughs) Um, My undergrad degree is in engineering and my master's is in leadership. And I spent um, 13 years being in uh, corporate financial consulting, um, but I always had at least a toe kind of in the wellness world since 2010. Um, I went to yoga teacher training in 2010 and then I kind of did all sorts of different things. And I, I really, I always wanted to go into coaching full-time, whether it was movement related or, you know, interpersonal in other ways, but I was so afraid <laughs> to leave my career. Um, you know, it was, it was stable and I, I liked it well enough, or at least I, I thought I did. Um, and it, it, you know, that was really in conflict for a long time. Um, but I always had a plan to, to do something else. And the catalyst was my body made it very clear that it was time. So (laughs) I ended up with chronic pain, um, daily migraines. I had no energy to do anything. And, um, my body said, no, you know, it, it said we're, we're done. Like, I I don't believe you when you keep saying you're going to go do something else. And this is a really strong message. (laughs) So I listened, you know, partially because I kind of didn't have a choice, but also because it was it was like, oh, yeah, you're right. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And around that same time, I had discovered IFS and specifically kind of the somatic aspect of IFS. Mm -hmm. And it just resonated with me like no other therapy modality had. I mean, I've I've had a lot of therapy in my life and um, I got a therapist who was working with IFS about three years ago. And that was just a fundamentally different experience and a way of framing doing that internal work that really um, shifted everything for me. 
And I loved it so much. I said, I, I want to incorporate this into my coaching work and um, was lucky enough to get into the IFS level one training. So now I'm an IFS trained practitioner. Um, yeah. And yeah, I, I love just bringing the model to other folks. Um, it really aligns with my own personal philosophy that, you know, you already have what you need inside of you. And, um, you know, my mm -hmm. job is to kind of walk next to you while you discover that obviously not to tell you what's right for you because only you know what's right for you. Yeah, I love that. And it's always interesting. I hope, I really love hearing how people come to this place of um, their own healing story or their own um, kind of um, experience that leads them into this path. And I really feel like just about everyone that I've had on this podcast They've all experienced some of their own, um, you know, trauma or illness. And that was what was their path. That was what brought them to this path of now being um, in the role of um, facilitator or healer. So I think that's um, just awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So um, can you share a little bit about what exactly is IFS? Yeah, so IFS stands for Internal Family Systems, and it's a trauma-informed therapy model. And the basic concept is that IFS teaches us that we all have parts of us, and parts are kind of like sub-personalities. Um, they all might have thought feelings and thoughts, feelings, and behaviors. Uh, and really importantly, all parts have good intentions for us. They may not always have behavior that's good. In fact, sometimes they might have really extreme behavior, but it's all coming from a place that makes sense within the context that it developed. Um, and a lot of times parts are really kind of frozen in time. So they might be, you know, stuck when you were five and you learned somewhere along the line that you had to hide a piece of who you were to stay safe. So you've got like maybe a really strong part that masks, um, you know, which a lot of us do, right? <laughs> so all of it makes sense when you go back to, okay, where did you learn this and why? Oh, well, of course you did that in that situation. You didn't have another choice. Um, the kind of thing is, is that a lot of times we get stuck with these same kind of burdens that we picked up when we were really young and just repeating them in situations that remind us of the original situation when we actually have a lot of other options now, right? Like we're adults now, we can leave the situation, we can say that's not okay. You know, um, it's not the same situation anymore, but because of mm -hmm. how your neural wiring works, <laughs> a lot of times your yeah. brain reacts like it's the same situation. So IFS is a model to kind of go in and really get curious about where these different thoughts, feelings, and behaviors are coming from and really honor, oh, this actually makes a lot of sense when I think about why this began. And mm -hmm. over time, as that part kind of begins to trust you, maybe working with it to do things a little bit differently. Um, and just not to get too deep into it yet, but there's there's mm -hmm. another aspect of IFS, the self. Um, the mm -hmm. self is not a part, and the self is kind of what's left when you're when you've unblended with all the parts. Um, and the characteristics of of being in that kind of self energy are compassion and connectedness and curiosity and creativity. Um, there's there's eight C's of kind of being in self. And that's your wise internal leader. So that's kind of like, you know, the adult in the room <laughs> who can mm. listen to all these parts, hold space for all of them, and really like see everything that they're, you know, telling you as incredibly valid based on their experience. And over time with that trust, help them to to get unstuck and to put those burdens down. Yeah. Gosh, I am like, my, my mind is, I have so many questions. But, um, <laughs> So, and I love that explanation um, of the self, um, because I think that is what um, we're ultimately um, working on is developing that, that, that adult self um, that can hold space for these other parts. But can you talk about, because I know that there's also like 
parts like managers and the firefighters and exiles is that do you work with those parts too or mm-hmm. like how does that yeah how, how do you how does that like look in the whole scheme of like IFS yeah yeah so the way that IFS kind of categorizes parts is um, protective parts and there are two of those there's managers and firefighters and then kind of vulnerable parts which are are, are known as exiles um, and usually kind of the way that the system will organize is you might have a group of protectors or one protector who is kind of either covering up or protecting an exiled part. Um, mm-hmm. in, and some really common protectors, like especially that, that I see in the work I do, is um, achiever parts. <laughs> so mm-hmm. we, we might not think of like, oh, achievement yeah. as protective, but you know, again, if you add curiosity into the equation, what is achievement doing? It's potentially getting you positive attention. Yeah. Um, it's potentially keeping you busy enough so that you're not spending time thinking about things that are really hard, right? Um, so, you know, perfectionist is another kind of related protective part. And these parts can often be like, well, uh, mistakes are too dangerous, so I'm I'm going to keep us safe by never making a mistake. Mm. And a perfectionist part might be covering up an exile that thinks that I'm defective. You know, I'm I'm not good at anything. I'm worthless. Um, and that belief at one point was just too dangerous or overwhelming to the system. So that part, that belief was exiled and that protector kind of came up to keep it from rising to the surface by just saying, well, I'll never have to feel this if I never make a mistake. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's just so fascinating to me um, that we we don't recognize um, it's like on the surface. It seems like, for instance, you talk about the um, perfectionist part that on the surface, it, it on the surface it looks like it's just you know someone that is high achieving or um, you know, but it it underneath it it's like it's connected. It has its roots in um, you know lots of childhood um, you know experiences, and so I often find it so fascinating that a lot of our patterns and our behaviors can be traced back to experiences that we've had early on and so then these parts um are activated or developed so it's just um so interesting do you think that are parts always developed during childhood or can there be like experiences at different points in our lives that can like make these parts show up or um kind of create these protective um behaviors so the way I understand it is that you actually are born with all your parts or your, your parts okay. are kind of a natural part of who you are. It's more about when they pick up a burden or if they pick up a burden. So um, those burdens might be picked up in childhood. They might be picked up after childhood. Um, mm-hmm. There's definitely like folks I know that have like college age parts Um so I, I wouldn't say it's exclusively childhood. I, I think that at least in my own experience, I, I see a lot of them that are childhood, um, picked up in childhood. Just And my, my thought would be is that that is because that's when we're frequently the most vulnerable um, yeah. and haven't, you know, that, that kind of self, that internal wise leader, that, that brain development is still happening. It's still coming online. Um, so I, I don't, I don't think that parts only become burdened in childhood, but I, I, my guess would be that's why it's likely more common. Okay. Awesome. So I'm curious to know, like who, what kind of person do you think is a good candidate for IFS work? Like, are there particular, um, presentations or characteristics of the type of people that you think would most benefit from seeing someone like you? Yeah, so I think that anyone with a basic openness to it, anyone who hears it and says, 
oh, I think I might have, you know, a perfectionist part or an achiever part or a rebel part, right? If you start kind of learning about parts and you start saying, huh, you know, that actually makes sense. I think my system might be organized that way. Um, that spark of, you know, curiosity, I think is make somebody a really, really great candidate. Um, I would say that the folks who probably aren't going to benefit or won't, wouldn't benefit as much as if you're not really in a safe enough situation, right? We need resourcing and we need safety to do any kind of reflective or, or healing work. If you're in survival mode because you still need to be, <laughs> you know, your priority is going to be, be safety and resourcing and kind of other support. Um, but if you're in a place where you're kind of like, I have the you know, emotional energy and, and the safety, the basic foundational safety that I need to do reflective work, work and you hear, oh, parts, huh, that's interesting. I've got, you know, different voices in me that tell me to do different things at different times and you're curious about it. That's, that's a really good place to start. Yeah. So I wonder about like in, you know, the, the, a lot of people that do listen to this podcast um, are dealing with trauma or um, chronic illness. Yeah. And I know that um, I'm in lots of different groups and people will ask about um, parts work. And I think that there's some people that um, are hesitant or they feel kind of scared hmm. to walk, you know, into that <laughs> space yeah. of uh, parts work. So what would you like, what would you say to those people? Like, what what advice would you give them? Like, how can they like prepare for that if they're interested in, in doing that kind of work? Yeah, I think the first thing that I would say is that makes sense. I mean, if you already are feeling vulnerable, and maybe you've had other experiences with work that have not been positive, or with, you know, medical type situations that have not been positive, like, of course, you would be apprehensive about trying something. Um, I think that, for me, at least, when I'm not sure if I want to work specifically with a another person, I like to kind of do resourcing on my own first. So um, the founder of IFS wrote a book called No Bad Parts. Um, the IFS Institute has some kind of videos that give more information about IFS. Um, you know, one of my parts is a, is a definitely a researcher and a knowledge seeker. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, that's something that might make somebody feel more comfortable is to get more information first. Um, if you're like, you know, I've done the information gathering, I'm still nervous, but I really want to kind of try this, then, you know, being really thoughtful and, and selective about your practitioner, like making sure that whether you're working with a therapist or a coach, um, that it's somebody who you're comfortable sharing space with, you know, virtually or yeah. otherwise, right? Somebody who you know, your nervous system picks up on nonverbals <laughs> in addition to verbals. If you mm -hmm. do a, you know, a discovery call or an initial consult with somebody and, you know, your system is telling you this is, this is a, a bad fit, well then don't do it, right? Like yeah. trust, trust yourself, trust your parts in your system. Um, and I think that meeting with the right person, it's a great idea to bring up that you're concerned, you know, and specifically what your concerns are. Like if it's, I don't know, I'm afraid that this might make my pain worse, or mm -hmm. I've had experiences in the past where I haven't been listened to, or I've been shamed, or I've been judged, right? Like these are all, unfortunately, a very real part of living with chronic conditions is people experience judgment and, and this, this lack of compassion and empathy. So does the person you're looking to work with do they have that compassion and that empathy available for you? Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. So just really trusting yourself. Yeah. And, you know, I guess as you're saying that I'm thinking about um, you talked about your own journey and um, dealing with chronic pain, mm -hmm. like how did doing this work help you with your chronic pain? Like how, how did, how was it integrated in a way that, maybe helped your nervous system or helped you to kind of like untether some of the um, the programming that you had and how did that all connect to your chronic pain? Gosh, I have so much to say about this. <laughs> um, 
Okay, so a couple different thoughts. Um, first, I would say that for me, uh, my pain was bad enough, you know, on its own, but my triggers around pain would escalate mm -hmm. it to make it feel almost unbearable. Um, and, you know, for me personally, that was related to like, if I'm in pain, like no one can help me and I'm just going to drown in this pain, right? Like I had a belief like that. Um, I had a belief that was, okay, if I'm in pain and I can't function and I rely on functioning for survival. So if I'm in too much pain, I'm just going to die. Um, there mm -hmm. were a lot of like well-trodden paths in my system that pain would trigger. <laughs> right. So really starting to understand, okay, where, where did those parts pick up those burdens and really working with them, um, to kind of, <sighs> calm down some of the reactivity that I had around feeling pain. Um, starting mm -hmm. to be curious about pain. And believe me, I understand that is not easy. And yeah. I'm not saying that it is. Um, but after a while for me, when I, you know, would have a migraine for days, it, I was just like, okay, you know what, I'm going to lie here and I'm going to get closer to it. And I'm going to try to describe the pain to myself. Like, where exactly is it in my head? Is it throbbing? Is it stabbing? Is it aching? Like, I'm going to try to be curious. And like, if it was trying to tell me something, what would it be trying to tell me? You know, like, what, what does it need? Like, what can I do to even make it just a little bit better? Like, if I get a cool washcloth and I put it there, what is that shift? Does it make it better? Does it make it worse? Um, and, yeah. you know, pain, pain is, I think, most of the time not being an expert in pain, but it's a message, right? Your, your yeah. system is saying, look, there's something here and I need you to pay attention. Um, so there's that. And then overall, I would say that the more my nervous system became better regulated because I was in a constant state of dysregulation. I was, mm -hmm. you know, working 80 hour weeks and running from thing to thing. And I was coaching circus part-time on top of it. And, you know, just like I never stopped. I, I had no yeah. off switch. And that over time, you know, that, that causes changes. <laughs> <Absolutely>. <laughs> but the, the good news is like, you can, re-regulate your nervous system. It's not easy. I'm not trivializing it, but it is doable. Um, and that really changed things for me. Yeah. I love that. Um, and yeah, I, you know, one of the reasons why I have this podcast is to show that um, it is possible um, even when things feel so out of control that we just have this capacity within us to regulate our nervous system. And I think um, why I'm so intrigued with the work that you're doing, because I know the benefit of doing the inner work. Like, I know that we talk a lot about like regulation of the nervous system, and that is so important. Yeah. But or and there is also such an important part of this work in doing this, the inner work. And I think that that helps um, to build more safety within our nervous system when we can actually face um, these parts of ourselves in a very safe way with a practitioner that um, can guide us through that process. So I think it's amazing that um, you're offering this type of work. <clears throat> um, I would love to hear um, a little bit about like what that process would look like. So let's say that someone were interested in coaching with you. Um, what would that look like? Is it just one session? Is it like <laughs> weekly sessions? Like what does that work look like? Yeah. So I do, um, offer one-off sessions, but I, I do them at a discounted rate of folks buy packages in at least six weeks, just because I do want to encourage people to commit to the mm -hmm. model. Um, and the way it works is first, you know, I, I would answer any questions that someone had. So there, there are a lot of parts that might come to the table with, as you mentioned, with anxiety and with fear about the process. And I want to kind of be with whatever comes up 
on that day and, and help to kind of put some of that at ease. Depending on where the person's at that day, a lot of times I really like to start with the body. So I follow a more somatic IFS-based process. Um, in IFS, we, we start with what we call a trailhead, which is exactly what it sounds like. It's, okay, there's something here. There's a trail here that I see that I want to go down. Uh, what's present for me right now, right here. And that could be, oh, I just had an argument with somebody and it really set me off and, and I want to understand more about, you know, where that came from. But a lot of times for people I work with, it's a bodily sensation. It's, mm -hmm. you know, I've been nauseous today or I've got this, this so much pain in my back right now. Um, and, you know, doing a little bit of grounding and then working together to get curious about that like what does that look like what what kind of pain is it if it if it was trying to give you a message what would it be and do you think there might be a part kind of involved there and and kind of going down the trail and being with what's there like mm -hmm. my job <laughs> my job is to to lead as little as possible so my job is basically to keep myself energy in the room for the client mm -hmm. to feel and then you know really follow the trail that that comes up based on whatever is happening for you that day and and understand and like learn from your parts and hold space and empathy and compassion for them wow yeah i love that compassion and empathy is just such an important part of that process yeah um i you know the other thing that um Maybe I, I want to hear your thoughts on, I know that I hear lots of people talk about their inner child mm -hmm. <laughs> and that is like the buzzword, like mm -hmm. inner child, inner child. Mm -hmm. I, just, I, you know, I, I'm curious to know what you think about that. Um, how that plays a part in IFS. If you even think that that is something to address um when we're doing you know those um that kind of parts work and yeah just any thoughts you have about that yeah i mean i i, I like to joke I, I don't have one inner child i have many <laughs> like <Yeah>. probably <laughs> at least 20 <laughs> because yeah. most of my parts are you know younger than 14 so yeah. <laughs> i you know this this gets into I feel like there's a philosophical conversation that I don't know if I want to get into about like pop psychology versus you yeah. know, psychology right. I love that information is more accessible. Um, my parts worry sometimes about harm right about what's the mm -hmm. line between information being accessible and people getting information that's harmful or not accurate. Um, mm -hmm. A lot of stuff I see with inner child work. Yeah, this is a broad generalization, but but bringing people's attention to look, there might be value in treating yourself like you would treat a child, in the sense that you know, offering more understanding and more space and kind of clear safety and boundaries and an attunement, um, which is a lot of what we do with parts. It's mm -hmm. what what do you need? Right. And and um, the thing that I like about IFS is that different parts, depending on what their age is, they might have different developmental needs for kind of that reparenting process. So I, I think it I think it's aligned um, and not getting going down the pop psychology harm versus information rabbit hole. <laughs> um, you know, I, I I like that people are aware that they kind of have may have those needs to be tended to and that they're being encouraged to to take care of themselves. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I think it's definitely relevant and um yeah, I do sometimes wonder though about um how it's being done but um <laughs> yeah. You know. <laughs> we'll yeah. just save that for a different day <laughs> that conversation <laughs> yeah you know it's a hard line I mean then you there's there's so many questions there it's like the yeah. more bureaucracy and rules you have around something the more potential there is for false gatekeeping and oppression to come in but if you don't have any then then where's the where's the restrictions from harm so it's that's always such a hard conversation mm -hmm. hard yeah problem Absolutely. One of the things I, I, I wonder about is also um, 
you know, with my background as a therapist, I know that um, sometimes, you know, there can be risks in the way that we're approaching this kind of work. Um, I know that, like, there is a question about, like, how do we set this up in a safe way? How do, you know, have enough containment that, you know, people might not be really triggered. Um, and so I, I'm curious to hear your thoughts about that. Like, um, you know, are there any risks associated in doing this kind of work? Yeah, yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I think any time that you're doing inner work and going into things that are really sensitive, there, yes, there's always going to be risk. I think it would be a lie to say there's no risk. Um the way that I mitigate risk is I am very, very careful about being kind of the approach being really nonviolent, really consensual, and really listening to the person's system. So if you listen to somebody's system, if a protector is telling you, no, we're not ready to go there, you don't go there. <laughs> you know, like you, you listen to the system, you trust the system, like the client knows so much more than the practitioner and the client's parts, they're, they're brilliant, right? Like they've kept yeah. the client alive. They have done an amazing job because the client is here. So you honor that and you, you listen to what they have to say and you always make sure that you're getting consent to proceed. And that, you know, it's true consent. It's not coercive. And and part of that is the practitioner staying in self. So if my, let's, I have a really strong scientist part who is curious, but like, he's curious with an agenda, right? He's like, I want to know this for my own kind of research purposes. And like, he needs to sit on the sideline during sessions because my curiosity needs to be agendaless. It needs to be I would love to know anything about this client's system that the system is ready to tell us. Not I need to know every last nook and cranny and uncover all of the trauma. Like that's absolutely not trauma-informed. You know, trauma-informed is at the pace of the client's system. Yeah. Oh, I'm so glad that you said that. I mean, <laughs> that just, just, just you even saying that. Like, I can feel like my nervous system was like, okay, <laughs> that feels good. Yes, I yeah. love that. Because I know that um, sometimes as practitioners, it's like you want to go because you want to dig and you want to get to um, the stuff. But I think I love that you're being informed by where the client is meeting them where they are and that you're seeing also them as being an expert um, in their experience. So you just, yeah, I just love that so much. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, they're the ones that have survived as them their entire lives and they're the ones that are going to need to go back to surviving as them. You know, my impact is, is limited. And I don't mean that in a like insecure or self-hating type way. But if you see somebody for an hour once a week, like, yes, you can do really good work. And I think you can really make a difference. But the rest of the week, the client is is living as themselves, right? Like, I need to listen to them and to their system about what is safe to unpack and what is not safe to unpack. Right. Absolutely. I love that. Yeah, and, and it gets tricky sometimes because sometimes you've got system polarities where you've got one of their parts is like, I want to unearth it all right now. And another part is like, no, 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 we're not ready. And like, you go at the pace of the most cautious part. Wow, love it. Love it. That makes me feel, um, yeah, it just, as you keep saying that, I think it just gives my nervous system like a, <laughs> Ah, oh, like, okay, I can see the safety in that. Yeah, like, I don't, the last thing I want to do is hurt anyone, right? And I don't, I don't, I don't want to do anything without consent of a part. Yeah. So I'm going to yeah. be real cautious about that. And I, you know, one of the things I think the IFS training does a really good job of is I, I think that, you know, 
I, my hope is that the majority of practitioners and therapists <laughs> feel the same way, or maybe, you know, hopefully all of them do, right? Especially when you do your own work, because then you recognize, yeah. do I have an, do I have a part who's up, who's driving this? Because if you're staying in self, you're not going to violate anyone's consent because there's no, there's no agenda when you're in self other than to hold the space to offer creativity and compassion and, and stay connected and attuned. Yeah. I love it. You know, it's interesting. Um, I think prior to my own healing journey, I had thoughts about, um, I think that there was a period where I thought that, you needed to be a licensed therapist to do this kind of work. And yeah, I have totally like my, I've shifted that perspective a hundred percent because I, you know, I can now see that, um, that that's just, you know, that was just like this idea that, you know, only therapists are qualified to do this work. But I think that what I see as qualified is someone that is, um, willing to learn someone that has had their own personal experiences, of course, with, with bound appropriate boundaries, um, someone that is kind of willing to understand, um, you know, human nature and, and how these things work. Someone that, um, is open and willing to kind of use their own self in this work. There's so many ways to get to this. And I think that it's awesome that um, you can coach um, and you can get the training that you're, um, you're needing without having to have, you know, specifically the, um, you know, like the therapist degree or whatever there is. And I, I'm so glad that um, you are one of the people that, um, it's available in this community to do this kind of work. I think it's absolutely amazing. Thank you. And you know, this, this might make you laugh, but I have a part that agrees with you, right? Like there's a part of me or agrees with your past self, right? Or your, one of your parts that, oh, wow, like maybe I should be licensed or maybe everyone should be licensed mm -hmm. to do this, right? Like I have a little bit of that dynamic in my own system sometimes, you know, mm -hmm. I'm not immune to being afraid. Like I just said, I don't, I don't want to do harm to anyone. And right. that part gets really activated. It's like, Ooh, are you sure? Like that you don't need these additional things in order to do this work. So like, I get that. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I, well, there's a couple of things that I think about that, but I have a couple of clients who come to me because they don't trust Mm -hmm. The medical establishment is how mm -hmm. I'll say it, right? Like, um, <laughs> I work with a couple of folks in the indigenous community, and you know, there's there's a total lack of trust in kind mm -hmm. of the therapy or mental health establishment, and that's yeah. that's one reason they want to see a practitioner who's outside of that. Um, I have another client that travels, so the you know therapist won't work because of the licensure because they can't. Yep. So. There are actually a lot of people out there who specifically are looking for a practitioner and not someone who's a licensed therapist. Um, yeah. And therapists are humans. <laughs> and there yeah. are going to be amazing, amazing therapists who have done and are continuing to do their work. And there are going to be therapists who are, who've got yeah. really active caregiver parts who are in the room, who are maybe like, Mm -hmm. overly involved and there's codependency there are going to mm -hmm. be therapists who've got like detached scientist parts who are in the room that aren't going to mm -hmm. connect with the client like mm -hmm. people are people unfortunately like I wish some of my parts want to write like legislate and regulate and be like this is how mm -hmm. we can ensure this is going to be safe for everyone and unfortunately like the truth is that that's not binary we can't just say mm -hmm oh, this is safe or this is not safe. We, we kind of just have to figure out what's safe enough right here, right yeah. now. Yeah, I 110% agree with you. And I think those are all things to consider. Um, and so I'm glad that, um, you know, we can even have this kind of conversation because I think it's real and it's relevant. Yeah. And um, yeah, I think it needs to be, to be said. So thank you for, for sharing all of that. Yeah, yeah, no, thanks for prompting it. It's it's something that I think about a lot. <laughs> like every yeah. once in a while that part will take over and it'll be like, 
should I just go get a master's in counseling and just do it? And then another part's like, wow, the only reason you could even do that is because you have the privilege to do that. And then there's like a whole rabbit hole that we go down about yeah. who's yeah. the gatekeeping about who's allowed to become a licensed therapist, which is yeah. a whole other thing. <laughs> yeah, no. And I've met some amazing coaches um, on this journey and that I've connected with that um, they're just awesome at what they do and they don't have the, um, you know, the, the licensure, but they're no less, um, I mean, they're brilliant, they're awesome. And so I think um, there's something to be said for, um, you know, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, oh my God, um, I know that we're, we're getting close to that time. I'm really loving this conversation. And I think um, you're sharing so much awesome information. Um, I know I saw on your site, your website, you talked about like how IFS can help with like building self-trust and like leadership skills. And so just want a little bit of um, your thoughts about that. Like how, how can it like help with those, um, those things that many of us are seeking? Yeah. So um, when I say that you, you know, are building self-trust with IFS, what I mean is you're kind of building um, part to self-trust as well as like trust between your parts depending on you know what's gone on in your life you might have parts in your system that are diametrically opposed like you might have an achiever part that says we need to go do all the things and then you might have a part that slows you down and says actually we're going to binge Netflix for the next you know 10 days or whatever right because your perfectionist is trying to keep you safe by, or your achiever is trying to keep you safe by keeping you going. And your, um, you know, couch binge part is trying to keep you safe by not letting you burn out. Right. So like you encounter these system polarities of maybe even parts that don't trust each other or that are in these like ferocious debates. Um, so there's a lot of opportunities for repairing part to part relationships, as well as repairing the relationship between your parts and yourself. And um, how do you build trust with anyone? You say something you're going to do and you do it. Mm -hmm. And you keep doing it. And you keep being reliable to the commitments or to the promises that you have made. So maybe it's like when you're starting to kind of build that internal relationship, it's self saying to a part that kind of keeps you from um, you know, burning out, hey, let me take on some of this load and let me like kind of talk to this other achiever part and like maybe we can come to a little bit more in the middle here. And like if I can kind of get involved in this dynamic, like maybe the achiever can back off a little bit and the couch binging part can back off a little bit and we can kind of like <laughs> meet a little bit more in the middle here. And that consistency with like attending to your parts, with listening, with offering that compassion and that empathy is going to up the trust factor in your system dramatically, kind of like across the board. Um, mm -hmm. And that that shows up. <laughs> that shows up everywhere in your life, right? Like the more the more that you trust yourself, kind of the more tolerance that you have for mistakes. And that might mean that you play bigger, right? Like you might start that business or you might start that family or, or move across the globe or, you know, go for a reach promotion. Like there's so many things that self-trust can enable you to do because self-trust really says, no matter what happens, I've got your back and we'll figure it out. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Totally agree with that. So um, for people that are dealing with chronic conditions um do you have like a recommendation for like how long or how much um they would want to invest in ifs work mm, every system is going to be different i can okay. i can tell you that i've been benefiting from <laughs> weekly with my own therapist um as well as I, I trade work with a couple of IFS therapists and another mm -hmm. IFS practitioner. Um, and my system just kind of soaks it up. Like, I love it. <laughs> um, and I, it took, it took me, 
it took me about two and a half years to kind of get to a more consistent place. But I also ignored everything for, you know, <laughs> 15 years. So <laughs> I, I, I don't, I'm cautious to say like, here's the exact time it's going to take you. Like, because I, I don't know without listening to your system. And like, you may not know without listening to your system. Like, when did it start? How long has it been going on? What, what does safe enough or you know, a return to kind of good enough for me look like for you specifically. Um, I, I know that's not really a, a good answer. And I think a lot no, of <laughs> a lot of parts <laughs> like definitive timelines, but it kind of feels oppressive to give a definitive timeline, honestly. Like yeah. you might have one session, you might have a, a somatic protector that's been doing something and we get in there and the stars align and that we can unburden that exile and you go forth and everything's changed. Like that could happen or you know you could be more like where i'm at which is it took a long time of consistent work for my system to to learn to trust yeah would you say that ifs though this kind of work is it compatible with other like people that are doing i, I know you mentioned you are very much like body based so people that are doing programs like dnrs or gupta or primal trust or um CFS school, like, can you see that, can they work together? Or would you say you would kind of like separate them? I'm actually not familiar with those programs. Um, but okay. I, I would say in general, an IFS lens is never, it's never not going to give you more information than anything else you're doing. Because once okay. you start kind of paying attention to your parts, you notice them showing up everywhere. And you're like, oh, oh, okay, the one that likes to follow all the rules is showing up here, or mm -hmm. the one that doesn't trust authority is showing up here. Like, they're with you all the time, no matter what you're doing. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. it's hard to imagine it not being complimentary, even though I'm not sure of the specifics of those programs. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I would think um, the programs that I'm um, mentioning are um, like brain retraining and somatic Based programs that um, people with lots of chronic condition um, do. Um, yeah. And so um, from everything that I've heard from you, from everything that I know about IFS and, um, you know, everything that you've shared today, to me, it feels like it would be very compatible. Um, but I just was curious about your thoughts. Yeah. I mean, on a neurobiological level, my understanding is what we're doing with IFS is it's kind of giving you the ability to observe your wiring, right? And yeah. over time, do some of that rewiring with neuroplasticity. So like it is, it yeah. is a, a rewiring tool. It's, it's, it's a very different one, right? Than some of some of the others like EMDR, I think works very differently. But, you know, it it, it is, it is doing that, right? Like it is a, a metacognitive, how, how do I think about how I think and then how do I change those patterns? Absolutely, love it. So um, I would love as we're getting towards the end of um, this episode and um, I really have enjoyed all of it. I, um, I know that there's probably things that I might not have asked you. So if you were to maybe share anything that you think would be meaningful enough for um, listeners, what would you say? What would be like a, um, would be something that you would want to um, bring home about IFS that we might not have covered? Mm. I think that I would say that one of the, the basic things about IFS and that's kind of helped me the most in my own journey is to really start with, um, compassion for whatever's going on so even if you don't do anything else just like you wake up and you're you're having a flare-up and just saying to yourself this sucks like bottomless amounts of compassion for what you're going through um that really shifted things for me and the more that i started to see parts the more i could kind of honestly talk to myself like I would talk to a child that I really loved and say, wow, you're having a really hard day today. Like, do you want some apple juice? Or, you know, do you want to go for a walk outside? And like really being present with 
what do I need right here, right now that just might, might make this just a little better, might make me feel just a little bit safer. And knowing that you deserve that and that what's going on, like it, it, it does suck. Like it, it is hard. And just like being really honest about that and holding, holding so much compassion for yourself for what's going on. Mm, I love that. I, I always, um, I think compassion is just the antidote for so many, um, <laughs> so many things. And um, yeah. it's always um, the thing that we um, need to go back to over and over again. So I'm so glad that you've shared that. And I think um, folks can really benefit when they are able to connect with that um, feeling of compassion, no matter what is happening. So um, gosh, I have really enjoyed this um, conversation. I would love for you to share how listeners can connect with you. Yeah. So my business name is Chrisana. And on Instagram, that's Chrisana LLC, C-R-E-S-S-A-N-A-L-L-C. Um, the website's the same, just .com. And like, I'd love to hear from any of you. Please like feel free to, to DM me um, and just, just let me know if you have any questions about IFS and um, if anything really spoke to you. Like it, it, it always means a lot to, to kind of hear what resonates with people. Yeah. Well, I just want to let you know that I am appreciative of your time. Um, I think you have a gift. I um, can hear the compassion that you have um, in the work that you're doing. And I can tell um, that you are quite skilled. And um, I really think that, you know, folks will really benefit from doing this type of work. And for folks that are interested, um, I hope that you'll connect with um, Katie because um, I do think there's benefit from doing this kind of inner work and helping ourselves to see these parts and, um, you know, building that self that she talked about early on. So thank you so much. I appreciate you. And um, for you listeners, I hope that you found this um, episode enlightening. And um, I hope that you'll continue to support and that you will um, tell everyone about the Healing Vibe podcast. And um, thank you again, Katie, for being a guest. Thank you so much. It's been such a wonderful conversation.